This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Tonight, the U.S. is still not able to call the three objects shot down by the United States over the course of three days anything but objects. National Security Council spokesperson Don Kirby says one leading explanation is that the objects shot down over Alaska, Canada, and Michigan over the weekend were tied to some commercial yet benign purpose. But this is not satisfying White House critics who are demanding more answers. You know it's a weird week in America when several unidentified flying objects are shot down in our airspace, but still remains unexplained. Yeah, that's right. Days after shooting down several UFOs, we still don't know exactly what they are or what they were doing here. In a statement Wednesday, the White House claimed that they are still collecting data. But Biden is taking heat from all corners for not making any definitive statements about the strange occurrences. The Biden administration still won't give us any answers on what these objects are, what they might be. The truth is out there. And damn it, I want to believe. Is it aliens? Might be aliens. The White House has denied the possibility of extraterrestrials, at the same time launching a brand new UFO task force to get to the bottom of from whence these objects came. And while the Pentagon claims that there's no evidence that the three objects are in any way connected to last week's Chinese spy balloon, they still haven't ruled out the potential for extraterrestrial activity. I mean, holy fucking guacamole, Batman. I mean, who saw that coming? General Kirby has been out front representing the White House, and he said, quote, I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these crafts, period. I don't think there's any more that needs to be said there. So yeah, between General Kirby, the Pentagon, and the White House, we might deduce that the government really doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Or they're just not ready to tell us yet. But space basically has unlimited resources. Uh, everything that's rare on Earth is common in space. You know, rare Earth metals, even though they're just rare in location, they're not really rare in abundance. But you look at things that we have fought wars over, access to energy, minerals, um, uh, water, and there's no end of that in space. So I, one of my dreams is that we turn space into our backyard. Earth turns space into its backyard and upon doing so, it would remove an entire category of why we have ever fought wars. And right about now, an alien mystery is much more fun to ponder than the reality that America has been turned into a war zone by gun violence. Again, we are dealing with the fallout from yet another mass shooting. The 69th or 67th is one of the two. Meanwhile, it's just too many since the beginning of the year this time on the MSU campus in Lansing, Michigan, where I happen to have lived for two and a half years. Monday, where three students were killed and five remain hospitalized. But by the time that this report goes live, God knows how many other shootings may have occurred. Alerts urging Michigan State students to run, hide, fight, sent students fleeing into the night just minutes after the shooting started. As a last resort, and only if your life is in danger, you may choose to fight to increase your odds for survival. One student said on TikTok that this was the second mass shooting that she'd lived through in the last year. I mean, seriously, the second that she lived through in the last year alone. A symbolic rock on campus has been serving as an impromptu memorial for the victims. And since the attack, someone had painted a sign on the rock. 
how many more? On Wednesday morning, the message had been changed to read, allow us to defend ourselves and carry on campus. Students are confused, I know, but more guns are definitely not the answer. Michigan Senate Majority Leader Winnie Brinks, who has a daughter attending MSU, had this to say. I am filled with rage that we have to have another press conference to talk about our children being killed in their schools. Michigan has a Democratic legislature for the first time in 40 years, and they reacted to the shooting immediately by renewing their commitment to safe gun measures. In fact, Governor Gretchen Whitmer had already proposed a series of common sense measures just last month, proving once again that we need to cut through the red tape of gun violence more quickly. When is the right time to have that conversation? Uh, gun violence is one of the leading causes of death in our country. With Democrats in control in Lansing, Representative Puri and Senator Mallory McMorrow say it's time to act on common sense gun control legislation. There's three pieces of legislation that I think that we can really use as a starting point, uh, and that is uh, extreme risk protection orders, uh, universal background checks, and safe storage. And many of the things that we're talking about have very broad support. Polls show 80 to 90 percent of Americans agree. Wednesday, the racist Buffalo shooter who killed 10 in a grocery store last year was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And I say that's the right sentence for this piece of shit. And yet it does nothing to bring back the dead. We will speak more about the MSU incident and our problems with gun violence in general with today's special guest, Fred Gutenberg. But can't we just all agree that this shit has got to stop? New Western intelligence shows that Russia is starting to gather aircraft near its border with Ukraine. This is an apparent attempt to bolster the trouble that it's having with the land offensive. Now they're trying to bolster it with jets, with helicopters, all of this according to a new report in the Financial Times. All of this is also happening as the Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, says the Ukraine is expected to conduct an offensive against Russia in the coming months. It's hard to tell who's winning the war in Ukraine because of so many casualties on both sides. But as a warning, Wednesday, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, an exiled Russian billionaire and a vocal critic of Vladimir Putin, told the Washington Post that, and I quote, a Russian military victory in Ukraine will embolden Beijing and lead to war between the United States and China over Taiwan. Khodorkovsky's comments set the stage for a major security and defense conference happening this weekend in Germany. A handful of Republicans, including Florida Congressman Matt Gates, are proposing that the U.S. stop sending aid to Ukraine. Gates is leading the group of 11 lawmakers who support the plan, but it's not likely to get much support from either party. The resolution would end the aid, wouldn't just end it, but it would express a desire to do so. It would also urge both sides to find a peaceful resolution. The U.S. has sent more than $110 billion worth of support to Ukraine. Now, Khodorkovsky went on to say, and again, I quote, if the United States wants to go to war in Asia, then the most correct path to this is to show weakness in Ukraine as well. He also made clear that if politics disputes in the United States cut off weapons and economic aid to Ukraine, all could be lost. Now short-sighted Republicans don't seem to get the big picture here. If Russia wins now, we all lose. 
Russia declined to participate in last year's security conference and they will not be invited as long as Putin negates Ukraine's right to exist. As the first anniversary of the war draws near, we must pray that despite what Ukraine has lost, her people stand strong and that the United States and democracies all over the world will only increase their commitment to helping them win. Meanwhile, former Vice President Pence says he plans to fight a subpoena from the special counsel investigating former President Donald Trump's actions surrounding the January 6th Capitol attack, calling the demand for his cooperation unprecedented and unconstitutional. So here's an update. Just when you thought maybe Mike Pence isn't the fucking spineless weasel that he is, He turns out to be exactly that, a fucking spineless weasel. Despite doing the right thing on January 6th, 2020, he hasn't done much right since then. Mainly, he hasn't yet told the truth and Jack Smith gave him one last chance to redeem himself. I mean, Pence could have seen the subpoena that Smith sent him last week as an out, a way to tell the truth, but also tell voters that he was compelled to do so by law. And yet, Pence would rather appease the fucking Trump base than come to the table with the facts, you pathetic motherfucker. They just can't ever play it straight. I mean, I mean, here's a guy who, again, did some things very right on January the 6th. Um, and now he's claiming uh, privilege that he can't tell the truth about an insurrection uh, that led him uh, and Secret Service around him thinking that they may be killed on that day. Secret Service protecting him holed up while the mob was outside the room, just feet away, uh, calling home like it was 9-11 because they didn't expect to survive the day. And Mike Pence says that he was fleeing down there in his position as president of the Senate. It's a preposterous argument and an argument uh, that, that, that the Supreme Court will throw out. Pence is citing the speech and debate clause of the Constitution as his way out. Too bad it doesn't apply to him. You fucking idiot, it doesn't apply to you. It only applies to members of the legislative branch of government. Pence was the vice president, a member of the executive branch. So whatever bullshit Pence is trying to pull and spin here, it seems clear that it's not gonna work. And sadly, we see once again that pretty much everything and everyone that Trump touches turns to shit. Did not lash out at Nikki Haley. He was busy incriminating himself on Truth Social today. He posted many of the so-called documents that the Gestapo took in the raid of Mar-a-Lago. The FBI is the Gestapo now. And by the way, if the FBI was the Gestapo, he would have invited them over for dinner, so. But Trump is in no position to say too much about Mike Pence's problems because he's up to his fat ass in legal troubles. So to review, the three big ones now are first, Jack Smith's special counsel investigation into January 6th, which appears to be heating up if the Pence subpoena is any indication. Then second, the Fulton County election fraud case, where key parts of the grand jury report came out on Thursday with indictments soon to follow. And then lastly, third, the case that I've been so actively involved in. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office is presenting evidence to a grand jury for the hush money that I paid to Stormy Daniels at the direction of and for the benefit of, yeah, that's right, 
individual number one. Yeah, right again, Donald J. Trump. So things are looking up for fans of Law and & Order, and I'm not talking about the TV show either, folks. So go ahead and file this under tit for tat. Republicans are opening an investigation into the Biden family's ties to Saudi Arabia. Now, according to documents, Jim Biden, the president's brother, who, by the way, never worked for the United States government, was never a senior advisor, was sent to resolve a decades-old dispute between the Saudis and a Philadelphia construction company back when Joe Biden was still vice president. But Democrats countered with an investigation of their own and demanded documents from Trump's son-in-law, yeah, Jared Kushner, about the investment company that he set up literally the fucking day that he left the White House. So said investment company built the Saudis for two billion fucking dollars and was just Jared's own special way of benefiting from his position as a senior advisor to Donald. I mean, it's a classic case of quid pro quo. And the ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, our friend Jamie Raskin, is calling Jared out. The question for us is, what did Saudi Arabia get? Did it get protection for all the human rights abuses, for the war against Yemen, for the blockade uh, against Qatar, and for specifically protection for uh, the homicidal crown prince when he ordered the assassination, kidnapping, dismemberment of Jamal Khashoggi, which you'll recall the, um, you know, the, the Turkey and the CIA said uh, clearly was done by Saudi agents and Donald Trump and Kushner helped to cover the whole thing up. Trump bragged to Bob Woodward, I, you know, we saved his ass. On top of overlooking his buddy MBS's human rights violations, Jared and Trump turned a blind eye to the killing of American journalist Jamal Khashoggi. After giving MBS that pass, Mike Pompeo was sent to tell the Saudis that they owe Trump a favor. I mean, can you believe this shit? And Jared went to collect. The emoluments clause is pretty clear that the president and his family should not benefit monetarily from the presidency. We'll wait and see what these twin investigations turn up. But rest assured, I've been yelling from the rooftops. Just check it out. Follow the fucking money. Lastly, and I don't mean to be a drag, but the recent train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, is a travesty and an environmental catastrophe too big for us to wrap our heads around yet. It's been nearly a week since the evacuation order was lifted in East Palestine, Ohio, where a train carrying hazardous chemicals derailed on February 3rd. You, you might remember three days after the derailment, fearing an explosion, Authorities controlled what they called a controlled release of the toxic chemicals. They burned off, which created a massive black cloud over the town. And while the EPA has tried to reassure the public that the air and water in the area are safe, not all residents are convinced. And they are incredibly concerned about the long-term potential impacts both on the environment and the economy. Wednesday, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg rightly blamed the recent derailment of the train carrying toxic chemicals on the Trump administration. Why, you may ask? We're not just picking on Trump, because they reversed Obama-era safety rules meant to protect us exactly from this sort of shit. 
Now there's like 3,500 fish dying in the river, pets are also dropping dead, and the people of East Palestine can't touch or drink the water. Environmental lawyer Elaine Brockovich is already on the case, but we have no clue just how bad it is or how much worse it's going to get. Is this an indication that people should not live in East Palestine, Ohio, or the surrounding area? That's exactly what the community wants to know. And as long as this information isn't given to them, full transparency, whether you do or don't know something, you leave them in a horrible, vulnerable position to return to an environment that is unsafe. And that is absolutely unacceptable. It's just what happens when corporations run the show. It's exactly why we need the EPA and regulations to stop them from killing all of us in pursuit of the almighty dollar. And now for the main event. Today, it's my distinct honor and privilege to have Fred Gutenberg on our show. Now, in case you don't know, Fred is the father of Jamie, a beautiful 14-year-old girl who was killed during the Parkland mass shootings in 2018. Fred began his public life directly after the murder of his beautiful daughter when he decided to attend a public vigil in Parkland. While there, the mayor asked him to speak. His words shook a nation, and he has not stopped ever since. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Fred, we're really big fans of the work that you do here on Mea Culpa, and we're glad to have you on our show, particularly right now when there's been yet another school shooting, this time at Michigan State, MSU, which, by the way, I lived in East Lansing. When I was at Western Michigan Thomas Cooley School of Law, that's located literally on Michigan State property, all of that area. I lived there for two and a half years. Now, by now, you know the drill all too well, unfortunately. But the big question is, what's it going to take for gun violence to stop in America? Well, it's going to start with some honesty and truth. Um, We're here for a reason. And we are here because we listened for far too many years to people who lied about what guns meant in society and what would happen if we tried to do anything to make safety a a part of that conversation. And for far too many years, we listened to those who had a profit motive in the conversation. And legislators got elected because they received a lot of money. Um, a guy that you and I both dislike greatly, um, last name Trump, received a whole lot of money from the NRA. Um, and what is it going to take? It's going to take now defeating all of those who are beholden to that lobby and who want to put safety first. We're, we're, we're getting there. But, you know, listen, five years ago when Jamie was killed, there were 300 million weapons on the streets of America. Now we have 400 million weapons on the streets of America. We're not safe. No, we're not. So for my listeners, just so you know that Fred Gutenberg um, is an American activist against gun violence and for gun legislation reform. 
And this all started when your daughter, Jamie, uh, she was 14 she was. Right, at the time, was murdered in the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, which took place in February um, of 2018, exactly February 14th Correct. of 2018. Um, fortunately, your son, Jesse, um, was able to avoid uh, the shooter at the time um, forever and impacted. ended up right. Yeah, and of course, forever impacted. And so tell me, how does the family, how do you, how does the whole family, because I understand now and I talk about people who become activists like myself for prison reform and for Department of Justice reform, because we have unfortunately been involved in something which alters our lives. Mine was entirely upended by a corrupt and dirty DOJ, Southern District of New York, prosecutors, judge, etc., all the way up to the president and attorney general. Yours is something that I don't even have the words to describe. It's really only you could describe. You and all those others who unfortunately like what's happening now at Michigan State Parents have to now go through what you went through. Yeah. And it's it's for that and your activism that on behalf of Mea Culpa, our entire Mea Culpa family, we only say thank you. And we pray, we pray every day that sensible gun legislation will ultimately be passed so that these sort of issues just don't keep happening on a regular basis, that we stop becoming numb to the Anthony McRae's, the 43-year-old shooter at Michigan State who has a history of mental health issues charged prior with multiple gun-related crimes. I mean, going back to 2019, this is a guy who used to target practice outside of his back door where neighbors were concerned and contacted authorities. He, he, he's, a, he's a guy that had, that the law actually likely would have stopped. Um, I'm still waiting to learn more about where exactly he went for his weapon. Uh, you know, and did he go around the law through some of the online means or get it from someone else or cross to another state? Um, because unfortunately, because of what we've done in this country, for anyone who intends harm, there are ways to get weapons and ammunition, you know, um, and and it's because of people like him and because of the fact that there are also ways to stop it if we get real serious and honest with each other. I don't stop what I'm doing. You know, I've been thinking a lot about you for the past week because and just so you're um, – Listeners, no. You and I met for the first time in person last week. And part of what drives both you and I is something that people don't see from us a whole lot publicly. We have anger and emotion inside of us that that will never go away because of what happened to us. And while we do what we need to do, to achieve a result that we know must be achieved and to do it in a way that we hope 
anyone who watches us is proud. We have anger and emotion deep inside of us. And, and, I, and I can only speak for myself. It, it tears at me every minute of every day over what happened to my daughter. And I also have guilt that pushes me every day because I know what my voice has meant to the movement, but I wasn't saying anything until it was my kid. And I'll never get over that. But this fixing this isn't rocket science. It's not, but it requires honesty. It requires politicians who are no longer beholden to a gun lobby that actually makes money when these instances of gun violence happen. And I, uh, listen, I'm not going to stop kicking people in the ass until we get it done. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like there's going to be a lot of ass kicking uh, going on because nothing seems to stop. You know, when I was there in Lansing, I actually bought a 10-gauge shotgun because I lived on the ground floor of a complex, literally right across the street from the Myers, which is very much like a Costco to those sure. people. Myers only exists. They're the big, gigantic, 100-plus uh, thousand square foot um, you know, stores where you could buy your tires directly next to your oranges and your bananas. But I bought a 10-gauge shotgun with a whole slew of shells at the Myers. They sell ammunition. And that's okay. That's okay. What I have a problem with is while I was there in Lansing, there was a gun show uh -huh. that took place. And they had AR-15s. They had Tommy guns. They had hand grenades. I mean, they had everything yeah. laid out on tables that you can just go in and you can buy firearms. And I don't know what the process was. I didn't buy any that specific day. But I think all you needed was to show that you were over the age of, what was it, like 21, you know, at the time, and that you're a resident of Michigan, and you were able to buy. That's the way I recall it. Again, I didn't go through the process. Well, and in many states, the age is 18. Or 18. I mean, again, to me, I just found it very odd because I've never really seen anything like that before where they have AR-15s, AK-57s, they have all sorts of, you know, bazookas and yeah, shit yeah. that these people are selling. And I was just blown away considering it's not even a gun store. It was just basically a gun show. So, you know, one week you have the gun show. The next week you have like Comic-Con. Then the next week after that you have, you know, um, franchise con, you know, where you go ahead and you could buy a franchise for one of the locals. I, I, I have to be honest, it was to me, an experience. And like you, I'm very interested in how this guy ended up with the firearm that he used for this mass shooting. It drives me, it's very personal to me, as I'm sure it is even more so to you. I've been to Berkeley House. I've been to yeah. the, you know, the, the student union center that's over there dozens and dozens of times. I mean, when I saw it on television, even though it's been obviously many years, I left Lansing in 1990, um, 1991. Um, it's been a long, long time since I've been there, but the buildings don't change in look. The only thing that changes are the faces of the students and the terror. How about that one Michigan State student that was also an Oxford High School student 
This is in 15 months. This is America today, though. The, <laughs> the second time that this poor young lady, second time this Oxford High School student has been involved in a situation where there's a shooter uh, I, I also at know her school. A, I also know a Margaret Stillman Douglas student who went to the school during the shooting who was there as well. It's America today. But, but listen, you are, are, are putting your finger on the problem. And because and, this person likely legally couldn't have acquired a weapon. But there are ways around it. Gun shows, for example. And where he got the gun, I, I guess we still don't know. But it's not just that. It is the ammunition. Because however he got the weapon, if you're a prohibited buyer of a weapon in America, by law, you're also prohibited from buying ammunition. But there's no requirement for a background check on ammunition. So he can acquire the weapon through whatever source, online, at a show, trades with a friend for it, and he has it. But then that same person walks into the store, whatever the name of that store was, and buys the ammunition and nobody checks because there's no requirement for a background check on ammunition. <clears throat> I, I'm a firm believer that doing something about that is the holy grail to gun safety. We should have background checks on ammunition sales. Yeah. Look, there's there's so many things that make no sense to me. I know I had a concealed license to carry in New York City. There's like a thousand of those that were out there. And I had one of them up until, of course, I lost it as the result of being a felon. And, of course, my felony, unlike McRae's, where he had concealed firearms in his past and so on, mine was paying for the president to get his mushroom pecker pulled by a porn star. That's my, that's my offense, and that, that should put me in jeopardy. And, and he's still free, well, by the way. Yeah, that is true. Well, not McRae. He ended up killing himself. Um, and I hate to say it, yeah. but, you know, good fucking riddance, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, th this is a really troubled guy. And Michael, I, I, wish, I wish the person who did this to my daughter would have taken his life that day as well and saved my family and all the other families the trauma of the legal process and a trial that only concluded yeah, a few months ago. I don't know. The The system is so broken, and what are we going to do? How many more of these school shootings are we going to put? How many more of these mass shootings? This is, what, 67, I think, since the beginning of the year? Is there something uh, fucking fundamentally yeah. wrong with us as a country, as a people? There's 67 of these. I believe it's 67. It could be 68. It could be 66. It, it, it was the, the Michigan shooting was 67. 67 <laughs> since January 1. We're since than January that now. 1. Is there something yeah. fundamentally wrong with us that we just become numb to it, that we accept it? And accept it until when? Until it hits us at home? I don't understand what we're doing. But, you know, let me just, Fred, ask you this because I know that you have a new book that's coming out in, um, in May called American yeah. Carnage. And it's co-written with Tom um, Gabor, and the subtitle is Correct. Shattering the Myths That Fuel Gun Violence. So not to give too much away, but what are some of those myths? And is there anything that we can do right away to stem the tide of gun violence? Uh, well, listen, so, so 
There are. And, and I think what you just asked me ties into what you were saying before. Are we not? Because Americans are not. And Americans, by and large, over 80 percent, want this fixed. Um, but the lobby has presented this image of a an America that um, benefits from as many Americans as possible owning weapons for defensive purposes. That's one of the myths. The numbers of times guns are used as a defensive weapon is is minuscule com compared to what they actually tell you. But they use that notion to sell guns. The idea that anything, any gun safety measure puts us on a slippery slope to having all guns taken away by the government. The truth is, this country has been a gun safety country all the way up to 1977, when the NRA went under new leadership and changed who they were. Gun safety, saving lives, isn't a threat to gun owners, okay? Doing things to keep weapons out of the hands of those who intend harm to themselves or others isn't a threat to gun owners. So these are the kinds of myths that we take on. You know, the NRA after Sandy Hook, and I'll never forget it, four days after Sandy Hook, I think it was, Wayne LaPierre went and did an interview, his first interview and his first public comments since the Sandy Hook shooting. And for the very first time, uttered a line that has become mantra for the gun lobby. And he said, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. He turned Sandy Hook into a sales event. But the truth is, it was never an honest line. Um, and there are facts to prove it. So we take on all of these myths that they have used to accelerate gun sales and we tell the truth and we do it with facts and data. But the book is also set up in a way where it will also tell people, here's how you talk about it, because it's time to change the way we talk about this stuff in America. Here's the biggest problem, the way I see it. Let's start with the NRA. Let's just start with who they are. And, you know, what they're all about. So the NRA, right, the National Rifle um, Association of America, yeah. is a gun rights advocacy group that's founded, was founded here in 1871. I mean, so we're not talking about an organization that started a few years ago. We're talking about a multi-generational, I mean, it's over 100 years old, um, the problem, yeah, yeah. though, is when it first started out, it was really supposed to just advance rifle marksmanship. And in those days, it made sense, 1871. Go watch, if you want, you know, the predecessor to, you know, uh, Yellowstone. And you see everybody carried a firearm because that's what the country was open territory. But the modern NRA has become nothing more than a prominent gun right lobbying organization that claims that claims that their role is to teach firearm safety and competency. Well, if that's really what they're trying to teach, they're fucking failing and failing miserably at that as well. And well, here's the part that confuses me. If you go to the NRA website, and I don't say to any of my 
listeners that they should do this because they probably are able to capture your email addresses just by going there. But according to their website, they have a little more than 5 million members who all claim to be these diligent protectors of the Second Amendment. And I bring up the number of 5 million because of something that you said. How many guns are in America? 400 million? Now, that's not to say that every single person who owns a gun is a member of the NRA, but everyone who is a member of the NRA owns at least one firearm. Now, if you just do the math, I mean, you're talking about each and every person having what appears to be more than a dozen firearms. Every NRA member, this is this is a real dangerous thing here. Not to mention, five million people should not be dictating who wins or who loses an election. And Bingo. that's the problem. It's not about them as a voting block, even though, look, we have 300 and what, 60 million Americans in this country. You have probably of the 360, let's say 60 million under the age of voting. So you still have, say, close to 300 million voting Americans. What's 5 million, right, uh, of that? Are you talking about 1%? It's irrelevant. So it's... They, they, their power doesn't come from their membership. Right. It comes it from It comes from dark money. That's exactly it. And that's the big problem. And we need to start stepping away. And in fact, I've always said that the FEC and government should prohibit dark money from entering politics. It's, it's what's unfortunately preventing us from coming up with sensical gun legislation. And again, if MSU doesn't in and of itself ring home, let's talk about, as I was saying before, Oxford High School. Let's talk about, you know, yours, Parkland. Let's talk about how many others. You know, people forget there was a, there was a guy with an AR-15, right, outside, uh, who took out a window at what was it, the MGM in Vegas and started target practicing on people there. This is something that's been going on. But unfortunately, there's so many of these incidents that we just become numb to it and we forget and we should never forget because we can't forget your daughter. We can't forget any of those whose lives were cut short. And this isn't a freak accident. This isn't you're walking in the street and two cars collide, one loses control, and you get run over and killed. Or, you know, you're standing on on an outside patio deck and somehow the concrete gives way. That's a freak accident. These aren't freak accidents. These are freaks that are causing these incidences. So here's a couple of things. Um, Going back to the numbers of weapons in America, and again, that's up over 100 million in five years, mainly because Trump decided to treat um, gun shops as essential businesses during COVID. Um, but of the 400 million, they're concentrated in about a third of the population. So we do have, you know, th- we have fewer people in the country than guns, but the guns that we do have are concentrated in a minority of the population. Here's how we got to this place. The NRA was not always as they seem today. Up until 1977, they were a group that actually did preach 
safety and did actually embrace laws that would um, establish safety in the country because it was good for gun owners too. In 1977, a guy by the name of Harlan Carter took over the NRA in a, uh, in a coup in Cincinnati of the organization um, and created what's now the modern version of the NRA to push gun sales at all costs and to start really putting a whole lot of money targeting politicians who didn't go his way. Uh, his, he, he, what people didn't know about him at the time is he was a convicted murderer. Um, he changed a vowel on his name so people wouldn't know that. But that is the guy who created the modern version of the NRA. And they do not care about safety. That is not their mission. Their mission is unfettered access to weapons for all. Um, and the reality is they've been successful. They have. That is why we are where we are today. But it also doesn't mean we can't start yeah. to fix this. You know, us. the problem that we have, and I'm, I'm, let me jump on to a, a point that you brought up, the fact that the NRA and these gun advocacy groups, they actually profit from gun violence. You agree with that statement, I suspect. What, Tell oh, me absolutely. how. Well, listen, every time there is an instance of gun violence, it gives a guy like a Wayne LaPierre, like he did after Sandy Hook, the ability to say, if only there were more armed others around, somebody could have stopped that person. Okay. Or you don't see things like this happening in gun free zones, which is a whole other bogus lie. Uh, you see the lobby say, because of this violence, we need more armed Americans openly carrying, okay? So what they do is they keep on pushing the idea of more gun sales as a way to solve the problem. And, and, and the reality is they're wrong. They have been shown to be wrong. The data proves it. The numbers and the instances of gun violence prove it. They are wrong. Yeah. Well, look, let me let me say this to you. The biggest problem that I think we have, everything in America is about messaging. And I know that, of course, working for Donald over the years, whatever he could create on a bumper sticker, that's how he messages. And that's how the American people think. And that's how they remember what it is that he says. So when you're fighting with the NRA and they turn around and they give you slogans like, uh, guns don't kill, people do. That's a pretty true statement. It is true. It's not the gun that killed you. It's the person who pulled the trigger. Then they who we gave unfettered access to without uh, any checks. Well, yeah, well you take it away where I was going with this whole thing, right? Um, then they have another one that the right to bear arms protects law-abiding citizens from violent crime and saves lives. You know, it's not the it's not far from true, right? I mean, if only law-abiding citizens had guns, well, yeah, I mean, it could stop theoretically somebody who wanted to go and commit like what McRae did. Um it's just their comments to people are that gun control laws don't work, 
that gun control laws are flawed concepts and that it is designed to simply violate and strip you of your Second Amendment right to bear firearms, right? I have a— Which is bullshit. Of course it's bullshit. On top of that, if you notice, the two weapons of choice are the AR-15s and the AK-47s. Now, we start to see more of the AR-15s, and I'm not sure why that, considering the AK-47 is more powerful. It's probably considered more accurate. It's heavier, but why they chose or why they choose the AR-15, maybe that they're more readily available, I don't know. But all I know is that I truly don't believe that any citizen in this country should possess one of these firearms, whether it's an AR-15, AK-47, or any of them, that is used for military purpose, that is used, they're basically weapons of war. And I don't understand the reason why any citizen should be permitted to even have it. No different than, Fred, you are not permitted to own and to have a live hand grenade. You're just not. Listen, but, but again, and it gets to, we need to start being honest. So in 2007, there was the Heller decision. They came out with this phrase, common use. At that time, in 2007, the AR-15 was not a weapon in common use. It genuinely was a weapon that people would use for sport, but that's it. After that decision, the lobby, the industry, went on this mission of overproducing these weapons year over year over year and needing to come up with aggressive marketing practices to put them in the hands of more and more people. You know, this is your man car kind of thing and the attachments to the military. And now they sit here and they say, well, you can't do anything about it because it's in common use. Well, that was a business strategy that put it that way. So I agree with you. We need to do something about it. And the other thing we must do something about is treat this on a national level because we look at states. The truth is the blue states, you live in New York. When you look at data and facts, gun violence in the blue states per capita is far lower than in red states. Now, a lot of the red states are far less populated, so you may not have as many instances, but per capita, they're far more dangerous and deadly. And if you look at New York and New Jersey, the majority of weapons that are used in gun crimes there, 70-something percent, are coming from out of state. So we need to just stop putting up with the bullshit that put us in this place, Mm -hmm. start dealing with facts, and start correcting this. Yeah, you know what really blew my mind? There's a website that talks about which senators have benefited the most from NRA money. Okay. I was blown away. And the amount, and the number one senator in America is so much greater. It's double number two. But I couldn't believe who it is. You know who, you know which senator? Has benefited the most. Is it Marco? No, no. Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney has received $13.64 million from the NRA. And the gun deaths in his state per year is approximately 400. So Marco Rubio is actually 3.3 million, right? And he has 
two, uh, just shy of uh, 2,500 deaths in his state per year. I mean, this is insane. It lists the top 32. This is this is absolutely insane. I mean, I could not believe that it's Mitt Romney. I, I, I mean, I know Mitt. Why, I guess that explains why Mitt, who's tried to be the only reasonable Republican, stays silent on this. Well, I think he would have to. I mean, 13 point what 13.6 million dollars in NRA spending. Yeah. I mean, that is just absolutely insane. I mean, and then again, compare it to like um Cynthia Loomis from Wyoming. I mean, she received $2,500, and her state is 125 deaths per year, which is, again, you know, why, I mean, to me, I just thought this was, inc- I thought it was insane, to be very honest with you. Now, let me just move on for a second and talk about Representative uh, Maxwell Frost, also a Parkland kid, calls his generation— Well, not a Parkland kid. He, he, he actually grew up in Orlando— but he was very involved in March for Our Lives, which came out. Understood. He calls his generation the gun violence generation. And I'm sure he and yeah. folks like you will eventually see results for your labor. But lots of members of Congress, like I just mentioned, they're owned by the NRA. Right. How can we. After, as I just said, Mitt Romney number one, I can go through a couple of the a couple of the top folk here. You know, you got uh, Richard Burr of North Carolina, almost seven million dollars. Roy Blunt of Missouri, four and a half million. Tom Tillis of North Carolina, four point four million. Marco Rubio, three point three million. Joni Ernst, three point one million. Rob Portman, three million dollars. And I can go on and on, but. My question to you is, how can we pin responsibility for gun violence on them? How do we stop them from accepting NRA money and voting on legislation that appears to benefit NRA at the detriment of U.S. citizens? Well, that list and your question kind of, to some extent, answers itself. A bunch of the people on that list, they're not in the Senate this year, um, either because they lost an election or they retired. But some of those who are on that list, and again, uh, 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 Portman, Tillis, they actually voted for the Public Safety Act that we passed in April. And part of the reason why they voted and part of the reason why the Democrats have one additional seat in the Senate is because people like me are voting is because those Gen Z kids are voting is because Republicans who still believe I can be a gun owner for gun safety are voting. Um, Now the house, unfortunately we went in a different direction because of gerrymandering, but there's more gun safety people in the house now than there were before the last election. Marco uh, 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 Frost uh, is is one example. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Maxwell Frost, uh, my friend, Jared Moskowitz, who just, Got elected down here is another example. Um, you know, in, in New York, and uh, uh, Dan Goldman is another example. Uh, gun safety people. So how do we do it? The reason we passed legislation this year is because even a guy like McConnell saw this is actually what Americans want. And we keep showing up and we keep voting and we keep demanding it. Yeah, well, we're going to need to demand it. We need to demand even more. So... 
Let me just go back to the NRA for a quick second, because I thought that the NRA yeah. at one point in time, that they were going bankrupt, but yet they seem to have come <laughs> back and they came back with a vengeance. And I would have to say that Trump was probably a part of this. I mean, for example, didn't Wayne LaPierre, who's been, what, the head of the NRA now for three decades, didn't LaPierre get caught with his hands in the cookie jar skimming off the top to the tune of i mean it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars if not millions that is correct why can't we shut down this clearly corrupt organization what's going on here well so the bankruptcy was always a fraud they weren't financially bankrupt they they filed for bankruptcy to run away from letitia james Mm -hmm. and it didn't work so that was always a fraud. Um, however, financially, they have been very impacted. In fact, they're down about a million members right now, and their finances aren't what they once were. But there are other groups that have stepped in to fill the void. And some of those other groups are to the um, uh, right of what the NRA was. Uh, whether you're talking about the uh, National Shooting Sports Foundation or Ohio Buck. Uh, uh, Buckeye uh, Gun Owners uh, Foundation. They, there are other groups that have stepped in and stepped up. There's a lot of money behind ensuring the health of these lobbying groups. It's that simple. The manufacturers, okay, put a lot of money into ensuring that these groups exist. And uh, it, it is, unfortunately, it puts a, it, it takes someone like my daughter and it puts a cost of doing business on her life. Um, and I need to keep working to make that cost a lot higher for this industry. Look, so this has come as no surprise to my listeners. I'm a big fan of Tish James, uh, our unsinkable, which is how I just describe her. She reminds me of like the unsinkable Molly Brown, right? The unsinkable Tish James. In, I don't have a lot of heroes. She's one yeah, of them. Make it two of us. In 2020, she took on the case against not just Wayne LaPierre, but three other high-ranking NRA executives claiming that they undercut the nonprofit organization's charitable mission by engaging in illegal financial conduct. And the way she described that illegal financial conduct is that it included diverting, get a load of this. And if you're an NRA member, I want you to think about this one. These fucking assholes diverted tens of millions of dollars for personal trips and expenditures, lucrative no-show contracts to buy people silence, as well as some other improper spending. And that's all stated in Tish James's lawsuit. And the way she described it, and I quote, the NRA was serving as a personal piggy bank for four individual defendants. And if that doesn't sort of sound exactly like Donald Trump's super PAC, I don't know what is. My question is, whatever happened with this case? Whatever happened and how could then the NRA still exist? Because she would have the right if in fact found guilty, to prevent them from doing any business, at least in the state of New York? 
You know, Michael, one thing that wasn't on that list, $30 million funneled through the NRA to Donald Trump for the purpose of his campaign. Um, and so let's never forget about the importance of that money in helping to get him elected. As for this case, it's a great question. I'm actually going to be meeting with uh, Letitia James, um, I think later this month, actually. Uh, I will ask her because I don't believe the case has gone away. I know the bankruptcy got tossed out. They are going to have to face the music. But her legal pursuit of them, it's a great question. Where I, I don't know where that stands. Yeah, because um, I, I'm, I'm curious myself. I mean, she, as the attorney general for the state of New York, where they do actually conduct business, she has the ability, even though I believe that they're domiciled out of Virginia. Um, but nevertheless, she certainly permitted within which to, you know, crush this company. I mean, yachts and, and hotels and private outings. And as you said, you know, funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars to, you know, no-show contracts and vendors and safaris in Africa. If I was, to be honest with you... It's a really impressive haircut. I mean, if I was, as an example... A member, which I've never been a member of the NRA, but if I was, I'd be pretty fucking pissed that my money is going to provide somebody these sort of extravagant gifts. Uh, I don't, I, I don't agree with obviously but, what but, they but, did. But that's exactly you just like you just said. If I was a member, the people who should be enraged are the members who pay their dues. That have been, I mean, the membership has been getting ripped off. They've been, the, the, the executives of the NRA have literally been stealing from their membership to fund that lifestyle. The membership should be enraged. Now, listen, their membership is down, and this is probably the reason, but they ought to be, be basically withholding any future dues payments until Wayne LaPierre and the rest of them are gone. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, I just um, I just took a look at it here. Um, in there was so much like what Donald does, which is just to delay, delay, delay. And there was a press release that came out of Tish James's office going back to September thirtieth of twenty twenty two. There was obviously a court hearing, and there was a ruling that enabled the case to move forward and allows our attorney general, to seek an independent monitor to oversee the NRA's finances as part of her lawsuit. But then again, you know, my, you know, my real question is why they even um, permitted to operate and whatever happened with the bankruptcy. I'm Like you, I'm going to have to investigate a little more into this. But let me just move on, Fred, and ask you this then. After Uvalde, many people were hopeful that maybe just maybe we'd finally do something about all of this craziness, this gun violence. And then Senator Chris Murphy and others finally did get some bipartisan gun law passed through in yeah. Congress. Are the new laws having any effect at all? You know, listen, so the new laws are will start to have an effect. They are important laws. They are they are not anywhere close to as much as we could have or should have done, but in this political environment, it was the most, most we could get passed. But 
But listen, we did improve background checks. We did, um, you know, improve, uh, you know, the, the, the legal environment around domestic abusers and, and their ability to receive weapons. We've made it harder for kids under 21 to get weapons. We've put money into um, uh, uh, community uh, crime intervention programs. Um, we, we, we made it, uh, we put some teeth around illegal trafficking of weapons, um, giving the ATF some new tools as well. Uh, you know, and, and I can't overstate what a big deal that actually is because 90 something percent of guns that are used in gun crimes or violent crimes come from only about five or 6% of the dealers and retailers out there. So if we can put some teeth behind how those guns move from one place to the next, that will cut down on gun crime. But we literally, the law was just signed in April. All, all of it is just first really rolling out. It's going to take a, it's going to take some time to bend the curve on that gun violence death rate and the instances of gun violence. But I do think, we now have mechanisms in place where we can start doing it. Yeah. So then let me ask you this. What can schools do in the red states that have so few? Look, we already talked about the number of guns in America. We also obviously see on a daily basis people dying. And here in New York, they're now announcing, oh, oh, during the course of the weekend, there were four shootings in the Bronx with 14 people killed by gun violence. And we say it as if that's not 14 lives that are lost. And I know nothing about these people. So I make make no statements about what was going on and so on, other than to say it's 14 deaths based upon gun violence. And it's being said with such regularity it's almost as if they're reporting the weather of the day, right? I mean, you're talking about the murders, you're talking about suicides, you're talking about these shootings, you know, accidental deaths, etc. Like this young kid that took a gun and shot his teacher. I mean, this is, what was he, six years old, seven years old? Six years old in Virginia, six so years old. So what can schools do in the red states that have so few safeguards? What can they do to protect students? I mean... Don't we all have kids that we want to protect? Um, The answer to that question is, yes, we do. Um, And, you know, when you you look at, to use the example you just used of 14 people killed, we've come to, it is sick, but we're at a place in this country where the gun violence is so pervasive that it's like, we're just used to talking about it. It's, it's, it's not like you get amped up talking about it anymore, and it's sick. But schools in red states, listen, they better start doing what schools in the blue states are doing as well. Um, and I'm not just talking about hardening campuses because that doesn't stop gun violence. It may stop it inside the school walls, but go by any school at the beginning or end of day, what do you see? Hundreds or thousands of kids walking onto or off of a school campus. Anybody who can't make it on, on the campus, they're going to sit right outside those hardened walls. So they better start pushing their legislators to also take the idea of mechanisms that we know save lives. 
red flag laws, which states don't have them. It's most of the red states, you know, but if you but if there's a known threat, let's let's have red flag laws. Let's raise the age of 21. It's these younger kids that are impulsively acting on emotional moments that are causing gun violence in schools. Let's agree. Let's raise the age to 21. The red states should be doing it too, but they're choosing not to <laughs> for political Fred, how stupid is the notion that you can drink alcohol in some states, right, 18, um, right, before, uh, you know, you can buy a firearm, I mean, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the opposite way around, that you could buy a firearm yeah, in some states uh, where you can't even buy a beer or have a glass have a of wine. I mean, it's really, it's really fucking stupid and crazy. But speaking about stupid, what's wrong with Ron DeSantis? No, I, I mean it. Seriously, <laughs> what's wrong with Ron DeSantis? After Parkland and Pulse nightclub shootings and killings, the guy's out there asking for looser gun laws in Florida. I mean, is he just uh, trying to listen. turn the state into a gun free for all, or is it just about his presidential ambitions and aspirations? What is this guy thinking? Listen, I, I despise him, and and he he is trying to turn it into a free for all because it, it excites his base. But don't bring guns near him because when he's holding events and he's having parties, he he will not allow any guns in his events or parties, and he. Basically, he's been pushing the venues to take the blame for wow. it. So, and all the reporting on that is coming out now. Um, but listen, they are hell-bent on pushing this permitless carry. They had a, a press conference a few weeks ago to kick it off, and they were calling it constitutional carry, which there is no such thing. And the press conference went so bad, and people like me and others in the state called, started telling the truth that they failed at selling the idea of constitutional care. They then tried a few other names. As of today, they are calling it a public safety bill. That's what they're now calling it instead of constitutional care. This public safety bill that they say they're selling is going to make it where the crime for showing up on a school campus with a gun is reduced from a felony to a misdemeanor. Okay, they're gonna and they're going to guarantee the next instance of school gun violence is going to happen in Florida. Okay, because of this stupidity and the need to feed the base, and it gets to the question you asked me earlier: What should red states start doing? They should stop acting stupid. Yeah, well, it's very hard for them. Let me ask you this then: How would you rate the Biden administration on guns? Because I know from reading that they've been banging their heads on the walls trying to get things done without the support of Congress. Or I should say, without the full support of Congress. My question to you is, could they be doing more? And if they're doing anything right, what is it? No, listen, so I, I am a very thankful of what they are doing. Um, and just facts. For the first time in over a decade, we have a real director of the ATF. That is a big deal. At a time when gun sales in this country have been exploding, we've not had a real director of the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Okay, we now do. That's a big deal, and it's because of President Biden. For the first time in 30 years, we passed meaningful gun safety legislation. It hasn't happened in 30 years. Now, is that legislation enough? 
Hell no. We need more. But in the reality of the political environment that we live in, it was a bipartisan bill that got passed. And so I, it, it was as much as we were going to get in order to get any Republicans on board, which we needed. So they got it done. They got it done. Now, what more could he do or should he do? Um, there are still some executive actions that I'd like them to figure out a way to pursue. And I know they're looking at whether it's executive actions around ammunition or additional executive actions around firearms or maybe even the legal process to, um, you know, help people like me be able to sue the gun manufacturer. Because we have this onerous, horrible law called PLACA, which prevents people like me from being able to sue the manufacturer. But I also would like to see him put a single dedicated person in charge of gun violence prevention in America. Um, they have a wonderful team of people working on it. Um, and But this wonderful team has a lot of things that they work on. They're great people. This is not a shot at them. But I'd love to see a single dedicated person whose job it is to always rally whatever is necessary to fight this battle. Interesting. So I guess if you could change just one law or put some rule in place that you believe would turn this crisis around, I guess that would be it. Well, if I could change one thing, it would be repeal PLACA. I think the, the best way to change this would be you give the victims of gun violence the ability to sue the manufacturers. It's what broke the tobacco industry. Let's do to the gun industry what, what's happened to the tobacco industry. Give me the ability to lawsuit. Give me the ability to get the documents to prove that these manufacturers knew they were overproducing weapons that required a marketing effort that would ultimately put them in the hands of kids and adults that intended harm. So, look, Fred, I, I don't know how to say this in a delicate way. I, I think that would actually cause more people to buy more firearms. I think it would cause more people to go out and to buy more ammunition for fear of something like that. I mean, I just want you to think about this. You know, could you imagine if we know, for example, that there are trucks that are out there. The trucks weigh 5,000 pounds. And that 5,000 pound sure. truck can go 160, 170 miles an hour. It's not bubble wrapped. It's not that if it hits you, it's just going to knock you down. And so on. it's going to kill you. It's so difficult to hold, if not impossible, from the concept that it's a private business. And when they produce the gun, it's not the gun that's killing people. It is people. I would like to see more mental health. I would like to see these red. But, I, but, I, no, but Michael, hear, hear me out. And I'll use your example. There's no nothing prohibiting God forbid something happened with that truck, me from suing the manufacturer or the retailer. There's no law prohibiting it. You're just, you're just not going to win. The, the, you're just not going to win. It's going to be dismissed immediately on a motion simply because this isn't like this isn't industry. like the you know the old uh, Ford that exploded and they knew that there was a manufacturer's defect 
in the in the vehicle. This is simply it's a vehicle. By the way, under the same theory that you're having, I could use the same argument with Louisville Slugger bats. You could use the same theory that these these German knives that will I, cut I, through, I agree, that'll cut through concrete. Here, here, I don't agree. And, and, and here's why. This is uniquely the only industry where you are actually prevented, prevented from, from suing. And here's the thing. Okay, I can prove, I have all the information that this industry knew they were using a marketing effort to entice a teenage boy who was vulnerable to acquire the weapon that he then used in Parkland. We can prove it. Okay, we can prove they their business and marketing practices were faulty and led to where this ended up. And the problem is I'm not allowed to prove it. I'm not allowed to sue them. The reason why Sandy Hook ultimately was able to settle with the manufacturer is because in Sandy Hook, there's a defective marketing practices statute that those families, after 10, almost 10 years, were able to get a court to agree they had a right to this lawsuit, and they were seeking discovery. The second the courts ruled you can go for this discovery, the manufacturer said, let's put an end to this because they don't want the discovery to come out because they know for a fact their hmm. marketing practices have been defective and faulty, and they don't want it's what brought down tobacco, and I well, want that moment. So, Fred, tell me, lock. please, what is it that the gun manufacturers are using as a strategy to market to young kids who are, or like this 43-year-old McRae, that they're enticing People, this isn't like tobacco, whereby, uh, whereby, uh, even uh, for example, listen. you know, that with the tobacco like menthol, they said that you know it was the taste, or like with the vapes, right? They got rid of the gum flavor or uh, juicy fruit flavor or whatever you know flavor that they're making, which are to entice kids. What is it? What is it that you feel that they're doing? Because I find this fascinating, and I hope to God that I'm wrong. I really do. I don't think that there's any place in our civil society for these weapons of mass destruction. I really don't. So here's the answer. You ever hear those on the right say, don't blame the guns. It's the problem is the video games, right? And so they always like, who do you think pays to put those guns in the video games? Who's paying? Okay. When you look at, in all these magazines and journals and, and online uh, media that are targeted towards, towards younger people. And you see all the placement of these weapons, okay, on youngish looking people in military fatigues, okay? Who's paying for that stuff? Who's trying to get younger people to pay attention? It's, it's the manufacturers. Uh, so every time I hear Someone on the right say, we need to look at the video games. Okay, that's the reason why kids are using guns today. And it's like, I'm like, are you for real? Who paid to put those guns there? Hmm. You know, it was it, it, this long-going, on-standing effort that, you know, listen, again, the boy who killed my daughter, 
We we have all the data. The, the, they they've been through all of his stuff. He was attracted to all of that stuff. It worked on him. Hmm. My daughter is dead as a result. So, Fred, look, the hour goes by really quickly here on May. Hope I could spend many more hours discussing this issue, you know, with you. I do have to ask you because I know my own mental health is. I'm going to call it compromised. I have terrible PTSD. I've talked about it on this show uh, with even like Saguru, you know, who was sending me a whole slew of books to read to try to calm my mind. How do you stay on top of your mental health? I mean, you've lost a child. I mean, your beautiful daughter, Jamie. On top of that, you daily interact with grieving parents as a regular part of your work as your activism. It's got to be tough. I know how tough it is. You know, whether it's the DA calling me in or now getting a subpoena uh, regarding the AG's case uh, and so on. It's got to be tough. So how do you do it? How do you stay motivated and not simply like me? You know, you, you go crazy. You go crazy in your own mind. Yeah. How do you do it? I... I I will tell you, for me, writing has become therapy. It's how I get so much of this stuff that amps me up and gives me anxiety. How I get it, I get it off my chest by writing. Um, and and if you haven't started writing, I know you've got your book. And one, I, hope I that have was two. Starting. I have two books. Both of them. Both well, of them. New York books. Times bestsellers. One was number one. But the other's number I eight. Hope, I hope that was as cathartic for you. Is it no, was for me? No, and not no, Fred, to the contrary. Writing revenge made me sick. It took me almost 11 months to finish it. It made me sick reliving the, the illegal, unconstitutional, immoral prosecution yeah. and having to live through all of the shit day in and day out, writing about it, rewriting it, editing it, speaking to people about it, trying to get people to get on the telephone, like prosecutors and attorneys and judges yeah. and, you know, and witnesses. It made me sick. I'm sorry, so please continue. No, so for, for, for me, Find the Helpers was, it was a, a complete telling of my story, but it was also talking about all the people who lifted me and carried me and helped me. And it helped me to realize how I was the beneficiary also of amazing people in my life before the shooting and after. And that was a helpful thing for me. Now, American Carnage was is, is a very different kind of a book. Um, but for me, it is it is sort of my ability to say, I'm done listening to the bullshit, okay? Because here's what America's going to start listening to now. And, and so in both cases, I did find it helpful. But I will tell you, Michael, and this is the advice I give to everybody. Figure out those few things that no matter what's going on can kind of pull you out of that slump and do more of them. I'm a car nut. I love to drive and I love music. I mean, when I'm in my down moment and I'm, I just I can't figure out like how to get out of it, I'll take the keys, I'll put Billy Joel on the radio, and I'll drive. 
until I can just snap out of it. And and the the other thing for me is anyone who knows me knows I, I'm I'm a dog lover. My dogs, they are they are my therapy. They they are they are unconditional on what they expect from me. And so uh, you know they are helpful. But I do more of the things that I want to do. This year I went out and I bought seasons tickets for the Panthers because Florida Panthers because I'm a hockey mm-hmm. nut. And my wife's like, why did you spend all the money on those tickets? Like, we can go just when we want. It's like, because you know what? This will make me go. And I like it. You know, it's it's you and I, we're always, we feel like we're always fighting. I am. I am always fighting. And the worst part is, you know, you you would get the opportunity to go to your Panthers game and so on. I enjoy hockey as well. I enjoy watching sports. I don't have a favorite team. I just enjoy watching sports, especially if the games. Well, the problem is I'll be sitting there and at least here in New York, 75 percent of the people that are there are Michael fans. They are anti-Trump, anti-Trumpism. They understand and they appreciate what it is that I'm doing. But there's always that motherfucker in the crowd that wants to be heard and so on. And that one scumbag ends up ruining your experience. I have it here when I'm walking on the street. Michael, I'm taking on the gun lobby. I I am hated by a lot of people in this country. But you know what? Like like, like Tom Cruise said in Risky Business, what the fuck? You know what? You still got to live. And so you know what? You get your ass on a plane one day, and you come down here and you go to a hockey game with me. I definitely will take you. I will definitely take you up on that, Fred. Let me thank you for your your activism. Let me thank you for you know your your time today. My heart and my listeners' hearts they all go out to you. We support you and everything that you're doing. It sucks that you become this activism. You become this activist simply because of a tragedy thank you my friend for everything that you're doing and i just want to wish you all the best and whatever strength whatever help whatever assistance that we can provide to you here in the mea culpa community you've you you have it really good to meet you really good to have you today thanks again fred and now for today's mea culpa ever heard of the king singers They're really talented, Grammy award-winning British a cappella group, beloved by fans. And so, it was a shock when it was announced Monday that their planned concert at Pensacola Christian College was abruptly canceled just two hours before the show due to, quote, lifestyle concerns. The concerns were related to the sexuality of members of the group. Pensacola is in Florida, a.k.a. DeSantis country, where you don't say gay anymore. You just cancel them. Pensacola Christian College canceling a group due to their sexuality is just the latest in a long line of fake Christian bullshit that is impinging on all of our rights. The fundamental Christian college is private, so they feel justified in canceling the show and dictating what their students listen to. But the King Singers said on their website that their belief is that music can build a common language that allows people with different views and perspectives to come together. I mean, that should be true in a perfect world, but not in the world of fundamentalist Christians. 
there, there's an our way or no way philosophy based on scripture that they basically manipulate to say whatever the hell that they wanted to say. And today, they wanted to say they hate gays. I mean, can you imagine building a religion on hate? Well, apparently, it's pretty popular. Glenn Youngkin, the pseudo-Christian governor of Virginia, loves to hate people and books and abortion. I mean, he really hates abortion. His administration helped defeat a bill this week to put menstrual data stored on period tracking apps beyond the reach of law enforcement. Millions of women use mobile apps to track their cycles, but Planned Parenthood says, stop, stop right now. Delete those apps and don't look back. There are data security worries because the apps are not bound by HIPAA, the federal health privacy law. So, Yunkin and his ghouls have essentially removed a woman's right to privacy, and we probably should have seen it coming. Since the abortion ban in June, abortion right groups have warned that period monitoring apps could be used to prosecute women or doctors who violate a state's restrictions on the procedure. Abortion rights advocates on Tuesday cast Yunkin's move as a harbinger of plans to prosecute people who receive abortions. I mean, this is no joke, folks. This is real shit. I mean, last week we talked about DeSantis setting up to do the same sort of things. And they're doing it and claiming to be doing it all in the name of Christianity. Now, I'm not Christian, but I'm, I'm Jewish. And you know what I do? I call fucking bullshit. Unless the true meaning of Christianity is misogyny, power, and control over the masses. I mean, look, like I said, I've never studied the New Testament, but Jesus, as I understand it, was all about love. When they ask, what would Jesus do? Would he have banned the King Singers from sharing their music or removed the privacy rights of women in Virginia? Well, look, again, I don't think so. But these Christians aren't asking Jesus. They are just doing whatever the fuck that they want and calling it in God's will. When real life imitates The Handmaid's Tale, it's a strong indication that America is hurling towards a sort of hell on earth. And if you're not good with that, better get to work because the clock is ticking. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. This is me.